0: Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. On this podcast, you'll hear from Trevor Oldham, the founder of Podcasting You and host of the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. Trevor has been running Podcasting You, a podcasting booking agency that helps real estate investors guest on podcasts. And after working with hundreds of real estate clients, he shares tips and tricks along with insights from his guests for how to start investing in real estate, grow your real estate business, and how to build credibility and become a go-to expert.
1: Hey everybody. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. And today on the show, we have Bill Hamill. Bill Hamill of Hamill Real Estate has been investing since the age of 21. He has accumulated 40 plus buildings in over 240 units over a long period of time in the capital region of New York. He specializes in two family, proper, in two family properties to 30 unit style assets managing in house until 2020. He now, his company now focuses on buying and selling large multifamily properties ranging from 30 to 100 units in the towns of the Capital Region and Tampa Bay area of Florida. Bill, super excited to have you on the show today.
2: Thanks, Trevor. I really appreciate me inviting me on. It's a
1: pleasure. And Bill, for our audience out there that's learning about yourself for the first time, I'd love for you just to go into a little further on your real estate background and what got you started in the space.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was 21 years old working in a restaurant and going to SUNY Albany at the time and reflecting on what am I going to do with my life. I wasn't a great student. I was given a real estate book by someone that I worked with at the restaurant and off I went. I was looking for Rental property and taking a shot that this would be my my new career, so it worked out. At 21 years old, we we purchased a, a two family building, and then we just built momentum and built a pretty large portfolio over a long period of time in the Albany Capital region of New York area, and. 2012, 2013, I really started to reflect on how I can get to that ownership part of my business, not so much the operator of the business. So that had been the focus for quite some time, and it is difficult for me not to be so involved in my business so my solution to becoming an owner of my business ultimately was liquidating all of our small properties, building up capital, utilizing the 1031 exchange to the best of our ability in a very competitive market in 2020 and 2021. But ultimately, here we are. Our focus is scaling Collecting large multifamily real estate, raising money for those big deals. And that's our space, that's our lane at this point. And I'm able to simplify my business, become the owner of the business, and, and let others manage our properties.
1: Yeah, I think that's an excellent overview. For our audience, I know Bill, prior to us hopping on the call today, mentioned that um, my fiance is from the Capital Region, so I have some familiarity there. And and I'd love for, let's say, for audience out there that is listening and they do know of that region. As well, when you were starting off and building your business in the Capital Region, was the main focus on Albany, or did you look at the surrounding towns to sort of build up your portfolio?
2: Well, I was going to school in Albany. My Job was in Albany and my friends were also going to school in Albany and had apartments right in the city. So with Albany being very concentrated with universities you have SUNY Albany, St. Rose, Albany Med, Albany Law, several community colleges in the area That is where I was hanging around, and without even knowing that I was going to get into real estate, you know, you start getting a pretty good feel of what student apartments look like in the city of Albany. So it was a natural fit for me once I decided to jump in and see what rental properties look like for me. You know, immediately, I was looking in that student area of Albany, where where I was hanging out with friends.
1: That's that's perfect. And for student housing within within the investments, there was that your main focus, or did you buy, let's say, multifamily and have you know a, you know let's say a typical renter, someone that's thirty forty years old, renting it, or was it that mainly that student housing that you were focused on?
2: I wasn't necessarily targeting students at, at the time. I did have students as tenants in the early years. You know, I looked like a student myself. So, here we are from 21 through our early 20s buying properties in the city of Albany that, um, you know, would rent to students, would rent to young professionals. So, they were flexible that way. Ultimately, over the years, the way I describe our apartments and our, our Target market. It's it can be students. It could be young professionals. It it could even be a family. The criteria was as long as you could qualify on our tenant application, then you know I'd be happy to have you as a tenant.
1: I think that's an, an excellent overview for our audience. And then you know, out of curiosity, you you're investing in Albany, and then when going through your body, you mentioned that you're also investing down and Tampa Bay. Is there a specific reason that you chose that market? And what sort of that been experienced like compared to investing in the capital region?
2: Well, that was my whole transition period. So it it occurred to me, you know, starting in 2017, you know, continuing to really grow the business, be the owner of the business. I I also had a, a serious health issue 2017, 2018. So it ended up being. A bit of a perfect storm of really reflecting, getting a, a certain perspective on my life and what I wanted to do going forward. So that did um, be a large factor in stepping away from third-party management. And also with that said, I always had that dream of you know buying that large apartment complex early in my career i unfortunately didn't think that was possible for us it was a limiting belief that holds me back or can hold so many of us back thinking that you know certain things are are over our head but once I decided to sell a lot of our smaller properties and educate myself on scaling, I saw that anything was possible specifically, you know, having the experience that, that I do have. So with that whole idea, you know, I also had a desire to expand into another location and During my sell-off of a lot of small properties, I was left with the challenge of identifying properties to purchase in a 1031 exchange so we could defer some of that tax liability. So even in the capital region of New York, the market is so competitive, had so little inventory where it was very challenging to, to find the next deal. So I'm left in the middle of COVID checking out North Carolina, South Carolina, different areas of Florida for another market where I might be able to identify a purchase to, you know, satisfy that 1031 exchange. So four or five trips through COVID, COVID, Ultimately, probably the sixth or seventh city that I drove into was was Tampa Bay, and and I fell in love. So following up with with that, you check out the demographics of the Tampa area, and it it all checks out, Um, you know, very desirable place, population growth, job growth, beautiful place to be in, which, of course, ends up being very competitive also. But fortunately, we were able to buy a multifamily in the Pinellas county area right outside Tampa Bay and you know hopefully that's just the beginning of a of a portfolio in that location
1: I want to dive into liquidating your portfolio and, and hopping into this purchase down in Tampa. I can imagine let's say you had you know you had a two family here you had a three family four family you know you you know you have these all these units that make up you know all these smaller. You, multifamily family apartments that make up you know a big portfolio what was that process like when you're going through and liquidating those properties to you know get the cash and, and go through that 1031 exchange did you sell them all off at once did you sell them off little by little do you mind just walking our audience through that experience
2: yeah i was doing them in chunks so have accumulated all these properties over a long period of time it it 40 buildings, 45 buildings, 240 units seems like, you know, quite a bit, but when you acquire these little by little over a long period of time, it's easier to keep organized and and keep everything straight in your head. You know, it's not like I bought all these in a 2 or 3 year period of time. This was over an extended period of time, so I, I really knew these properties very, very well. I knew them too well, based on being such an uh, hands-on property manager. So at that point, you know, we're just going through chunks of properties, four or five to start. And once we started getting some traction on those sales, we would overlap and, and pick the next chunk of properties, another five or six, and then just kept that going. With the market being so uh, competitive and so hot, it it wasn't very difficult. Basically, we're listing properties, showing properties, and getting properties under contract for for decent prices and, and, and having a pretty strong momentum, you know, even through COVID. We had that you know two month period of time, like March and or, or April, May, where the world shut down. So that was a, a pause. But then at that point, it accelerated, and it was even easier to sell our properties. You know, once once June of two thousand twenty hit.
1: And for the property, they're going down there. You know, you're so, you've sold off these properties. You have the capital, and you're going down there and, and buying that property. And Tampa, and for the investment philosophy around that, are you buying, you know, a Class B, Class C property, and trying to do a value add, you know, to to help, you know, get additional capital down the road? I'd love for you just to talk a little bit about that and, and sort of what the strategy was around buying this property down there.
2: Well, when you're when you sold off a lot of properties and then you have the clock ticking on a 1031 exchange, I was very flexible on what I was looking to purchase at at, at that point. I was just looking to park some 1031 money. So I was the guy that was in town that all the other buyers roll their eyes at, and, and I have as well, where you know you're coming in with you know 1031 money and you know you you're you're able to elbow out a lot of people and and take a deal. You know, so um you know that's pretty much what happened on on the multifamily that I purchased, fortunately. You know I only had to pay the list price, so we were able to um at least not have to pay above list, but the ten thirty one exchange money certainly helped um get that contract done and Otherwise, my career in the capital region of Albany and even, uh, you know, what what I'm thinking in the Tampa Bay area is I've always been, you know, a value add guy. You know, my roots are, you know, buy foreclosure properties, distressed properties at at a lesser amount, put some money into them and you generate instant sweat equity put it in the portfolio and, you know, let real estate do its thing.
1: And for these properties that you're buying in, you know, in New York, or, you know, buying in New York and then selling, and then also the one in Tampa between the two markets, you know, one being in New York, one being Florida, did you find that they were you know, competitive, but one was a little bit harder to invest in or did you find that, you know, just as a whole, they were both equally as competitive. I know being in Massachusetts where I am, Right now, the market is very, very competitive. So I'm just curious to see if you notice any differences between the two, if you thought one was easier, if they're both just, you know, hard and, and competitive, just given the time and, and the short supply that's on the market.
2: It's pretty much it. I, I think we're dealing with that nationwide and any properties outside of war zones, it's very competitive. So, you know, Tampa has a, a more compressed cap rate than the Capital Region, so you know, I guess you can say in rounded numbers, you know Tampa has gotten to a point on assets that we're looking at you know nineteen eighties and newer you know good locations you know you're 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 looking at four and a half five caps that properties are moving quickly. In the capital region of new york you're 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 looking at five and a half six caps for that same style asset. So there is a a one percent differential on that cap rate, but I'm seeing the same exact activity as far as supply and demand. There's very little inventory, and there's a lot of demand. So just like in the Tampa area. Um, in relation to the capital region, not much hits the market. Everything ends up being off-market deals because sellers are able to just utilize their real estate contacts with brokers and any other live buyers, You know, let a few people or a group of people know that they're interested in, in selling their property. And it, it's pretty simple at this point in time to to get a group of people walking through and, and ultimately it ends up in a highest and best offer situation without having to put it on the market.
1: Yeah, but, and that definitely, that definitely makes a whole lot of sense. And for these properties, let's say, you know, going back to New York a little bit for these properties that you were buying, were you using your own capital to buy them? You know, let's say, you know, buying a new property once every you know, two years or so, or were you bringing in outside additional capital to help scale it up a little bit quicker?
2: As my career moved on, and and this is the way I explain it to a lot of the the newer investors that I talk with daily, and, and it probably is true for a lot of things in life, it's it's the hardest getting started. You know, we we have the least amount of resources and experience when we're first starting something. So when I first started, I was able to utilize FHA style residential mortgages which will allow you to get in very little down. So it doesn't take much skill. It doesn't take much creative financing ability at that point. It's pretty much handed to you on a silver platter. But after you do two of those, you know, those are are no longer available to you. So at that point, I get a little bit more educated in the business you know, you continue to talk to mortgage people. You learn about construction rehab style products and different things to be a bit more creative so you don't have to utilize all your cash resources. And as you continue building momentum, building a portfolio, you know, it was necessary for me to start getting private lenders, whether it be small amounts of money from coworkers to then graduating into other properties where now you're building up trust with bigger players, sellers of properties that, that see what we're doing. And now they're offering seller financing, not necessarily on one particular property, but basically speaking with them to just have a private lender relationship. So those have become hugely valuable to us over the last probably 15 or 20 years where we've had up to three or four private lenders that we can just go to at any point in time and say, hey, we have a good deal. You know, we need this amount of money and, you know, to to basically finance a little or no money down deal, you know, they would basically just write the check and uh, it wouldn't have to be collateralized. So it was very flexible financing that, that we were able to make numerous amount of deals that way.
1: Yeah, I think that's an excellent overview for our audience, especially those who are out there who may be just starting off. And then, as you mentioned, you know, once you run out of the uh, capability of using the FHA loan. So I think that's uh, an excellent overview. And, and then from your standpoint of your investing career and for our audience out there, is there any certain... Property that you managed that was just very difficult. Maybe the tenants were difficult. Maybe you know you bought the property and it didn't go as planned. Do you have any stories that you can share with our audience of you know maybe a property that didn't go as well as you had expected?
2: Well, yeah, that's that's how I developed a criteria. You know, uh, in my early years, where it, it, it's very I, I like to keep things very simple. And I learned on property number one. Fortunately, it, it gentrified and it and it worked out well for us as a buy and hold. But, you know, I bought that first property a little bit sooner than I should have. I was very motivated. I was very anxious to buy that first property and get that real estate career going. But what I didn't do was realize that there's a learning curve, you know, figuring out neighborhoods and and different style of assets before you go and buy a property. So I'm buying my first property in a war zone type neighborhood. And I, boy, did I learn the hard way about a property that was very difficult to manage. So my criteria turned into being location, location, location. As everybody knows, it's going to be said about real estate to the end of time. But then also quality of building. So you could have a great location, but you could have a poorly built property in a great location that's going to cause problems, at least maintenance type issues, ongoing work orders and, and difficulty just keeping the property at the standard that you would normally like. And then that third part of that criteria is the floor plan of that building or the apartments in that building. So all of these things together allows for a great tenant. And once you get a great tenant in your apartments, in your buildings, it allows for easier management because we are running a business here. So we want to run this business as efficiently with as much ease as possible. And and that is how I found, uh, you know, to do it in the apartment business.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's perfect for our audience out there, you know, going through those sort of three set criteria. But Bill, I want to say I've enjoyed this interview today. And I just wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions before we end the show today. And and the first question is, do you happen to have a real estate investing or business book that you would recommend for our audience to check out?
2: Yeah, I, I do. I actually, I, you know, considering I feel like I'm starting my second career, so the, the most recent book that I've read, which has become super valuable to me, and I have handed it off to a couple other people, it's the, the Joe Fairless, The Best Ever Apartment Syndication book. So that was uh, very valuable to me because that is what we're looking at now, getting into large apartment communities and, you know, getting into syndication so we can knock down a couple of these deals a year. But in my early years, that first book that was given to me, Robert Allen, Nothing Down for the 90s was very valuable also because it really gave you the fundamentals of buying property with little or no money down, which was very, very necessary when you don't have any
1: money. Those are a couple excellent recommendations. And Bill, last question of the day is, where can our audience find you?
2: You can find me by email. It's bill at camelrealestate.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Bill Hamill. We also have a Hamill Real Estate LinkedIn page. Um, Same thing, Bill Hamill on Facebook, Hamill Real Estate on Facebook, and uh, Hamill Real Estate on Instagram. But feel free to text or call me, 518-857-9251. I would love to talk real estate with anybody. It's, it's, it's what I
1: love to do. Awesome. I'll make sure to include that in the show notes. And Bill, thanks for coming on to the show today. No thanks for thanks, tuning Trevor. in to I this week's it.
0: episode of the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. For full show notes on today's episode, go to podcastingyou.com. That's podcastingyou.com. If you have feedback from today's episode, feel free to email us at trevor@podcastingyou.com. At Thanks for listening.